0: Today on Locked On White Sox, I welcome in Zach Hayes from Southside Sox Pitcher List and Baseball prospectus to talk about the 2022 White Sox. You can follow Zach at Pine Tar Keyboard. The audio could be better, which is my fault. I apologize for that. It will be fixed on Monday. I hope you enjoy. Here is Locked On Sox. You are Locked On White Sox, your daily Chicago White Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network,
1: your team every day.
0: Welcome into the Locked On Sox podcast. Thank you for making Locked On White Sox your first listen each and every day. We're free and available on all platforms. We're free and available on Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube, and many more places at Locked On Sox. And you can find us by searching Locked On White Sox. I'm your host, Sean Anderson, TGIF. It is Friday, February 25th. And today... I have a guest bless up. Thank you. Uh, Our our, our guest blessing up that it is a, a Friday. Zach Hayes writing from Southside Sox, Pitcher List, and Baseball Perspectives. And he had me on his podcast, so why not have him on my podcast? He was the uh, he is the co-host, not was, <laughs> well, hopefully not. Uh, he is the co-host of the Shagging Flies podcast uh, from Pitcher List with Ben Palmer. You can go check out the episode I did with them. We talked music, we talked baseball. A long, nice conversation if you're looking for something over this weekend. But Zach, how are you, buddy?
1: Oh, I'm pretty nice. I'm very happy it's Friday. I'm very happy to be sharing the airwaves with you right now. Let's uh, let's talk some White Sox.
0: Absolutely. And one thing i got to talk to you, because you're also the editor of, uh, of Shagging Flies. And I said, you, I told this to you in the DMs, but you guys have the best uh, bleep in the game. So, I mean, can you explain it for the Sox fans out there? Mercy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, we're, we're not allowed to curse on our podcast, which doesn't actually stop us from cursing. But uh, my, you know, I'm just editing an audacity. So rather than get a generic bleeper i'm like okay let's get a little a little socks fan representation on here gotta drop plugs where i can so i just took a little, a little hawk harrelson hawk harrelson mercy and you know every time a curse drops which is pretty frequently uh that's that's what you hear i and, i am also of the opinion it's the best bleeper in the game there's no no contest and if we
0: slip up today in in, in homage to your appearance today Uh, I will also use it as my bleep Uh, because, you know, you know, the shout out to Tegna, uh, we're not allowed to swear either. So, uh, you know, it's, that's, that's the fun part, but I'm glad you got creative with it. Uh, It makes most listen to your podcast fun. But the first time it was jarring, I was like, where the hell did (laughs) the come from? So uh, excited to talk to you today because you got a a lot of great articles out. Um, You have a very, uh, I love your take on on the lockout and I'd I'd love to get your take on the commissioner office. And I'd love to take your take on the lockout. Um, You also had a great article on, the Pocota projections for the Sox, um, but I want to start off with your hot take. You, you tweeted out yesterday and, and got some pretty good run on, on the Twitter sphere uh, with with your Dylan Cease take. For every Dylan Cease is the best, or uh, sorry, for every Dylan uh, Cease is the 2020 breakout candidate article I see this offseason. I will take one shot on the day of his first start. Up to three so far, but if I black out, I'll still be uh, by the fourth inning by the time I recover. So we're all good. So. I I had the take back in December that he will, he can win the 2022 AL Cy Young. So, you know, what's, yeah, you're fishing for that. What's going on here?
1: No, I actually, that was a lit, it was a hot take on, on my end. And it's actually, it's funny because I have been through most of last season. If you want to go back through my timeline, I was definitely on team cease. I was not one of the people that was super upset with his, his inconsistency, but I think it is funny it's mostly coming from the fantasy community and that side of things. It's, it's funny to see these articles and people giving these takes where they're kind of expecting cease to make this jump into like, this might be the guy who becomes a top 10, top 15 pitcher. Uh, and, you know, our opinions being, being white Sox fans and being people who are pretty dedicated to watching the team uh, day in day out, are coming from a slightly different place. What gets me is when it's clearly people who are seeing his astronomical strikeout totals, you know, going to his baseball savant page and seeing he has a uh, really, really high spin and he's got these nasty breaking balls and everybody's saying like, Oh man, this guy is a breakout waiting to happen. And my response is kind of like, well, if you actually watch him pitch consistently, you would understand pretty well why the breakout hasn't fully happened yet and uh, why it's maybe it's not just as simple as a few Arsenal tweaks. It's a whole, you know, it's it's mechanics, it's mental stuff. It's uh, stuff that's a little less easy to project on than I think a lot of people think so. I kind of have to laugh and be like, all right, let's let's take a pause and see if he can get through the fifth inning more than like twice in a row before before we start taking that that next level. I still think he's good. I still think he's going to be very good, but I'm I'm pumping the brakes a tiny bit on some of the rhetoric I've seen (laughs) this offseason.
0: Absolutely. And I think you can kind of compare it to like when a front office knows more about a player than everybody else in the league. And yes, there's all the great things that you see. But also, you know, as Sox fans, like we know more than the general community because they're not seeing every Dylan Cease start, you know, we have the luxury of knowing all the quirks about him. And I think just looking at his August to October, it seems like he was becoming more consistent with his uh, uh, release point. It seemed especially, you know, like he he has some of the composure. I really loved what we saw in game three. Uh, You know, it wasn't perfect. He still had some of the Dylan Cease moments, but it just feels like he is truly maturing, and that's why I feel like it's it's coming there so maybe still knowing everything I know he does have that ability to blow up but I think as you know we all progress and we all you know mature, especially with ethan Katz, it just feels like maybe with getting away from the Don Cooper method of pitching, I think that <laughs> it, it is maybe going to be there for, for, for him this season because he has three pitches, and, and those three pitches, even on Savant, you know, like it's in an elite tier. So I just think that in, in watching everything, if he's able to not have those Dylan C starts, like you said, the ones where, you know, by the fifth inning, he already has 90 pitches, I, I think he can put himself into contention this year for the AL Cion.
1: Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all there. It's not a matter of, you know, not seeing seeing the potential there. It's always been there. It's what we've been dreaming on since day one. It's that seeing 50-60 starts into his career, the reason he has some of these issues is, you know, he gets when he gets a runner on base after an error, he his mechanics get disconnected. He starts mentally rushing things. You can see it. Uh, you know, he's not a big dude. He's like 6'2, 190, something like that. And it's really, really hard to throw, sit 97, 98 miles an hour. Uh, when you are that size, he has violent mechanics. He has a big head jerk. He really has to do a lot and go pretty high effort to get to that level of velocity. And so my, my take is more coming from the side of looking at that and, and saying, okay, making the adjustment, that's going to give him better control. That's going to let him not have those innings and those games where he just completely loses feel of where the ball is going. You know, he led the league in wild pitches last year. He was up there and hit by pitches too. Uh, I'm not, I think that's an adjustment that is easier said than done in his case. In particular, it's not quite as simple as someone like, uh, Robbie Ray or even Lucas Giolito, where his, he was really, truly all over the place at all times and kind of came up with that one size. I mean, he did a total overhaul and it fixed him. Right. And I don't, I'm not sure if I see that with C. So that being said, uh, if it does happen and there is a. You know, if not a great chance, definitely a substantial enough chance, probably more so than it would have been five years ago, that he does put it together, then he'll be one of the top 10 pitchers in baseball. I think there are very like going back to, I think I said on a couple podcasts last winter, one of my hotter takes is that his stuff at, you know, full speed is actually is better than Kopech's in my opinion. He's got, there aren't too many pitchers out there who have an arsenal that can conceivably compete with someone like Garrett Coles or, or Jacob de And he's one of the few guys that can, there's like maybe a 10% chance he gets there, but if he does get there, it's going to come together really quickly. And it's going to be pretty incredible to watch. Uh, I'm just like a little less sure that it's going to happen than I might've been a year ago. Yeah,
0: absolutely. But the, the reason, and the reason why I love, you know, just your work is the, the way that you can articulate all of that. And it, it is, it is great to have, uh, I guess, somebody else besides me, uh, because, you know, you being able to be like the, the, the wild pitch thing, the hit batters thing really love that. But something that stuck out was the size and the mechanics thing that kind of screamed Tim Lincecum in a way when we obviously saw, you know, the peak that he was able to reach. Um, but we also saw how quickly his career declined. I mean, is that a, a worry to you even though C so far hasn't shown
1: injury concerns? I don't think so. Cause with Lincecum specifically, you can, it was a really clear cause and effect where it wasn't just the violence in his motion. It was his hips fell apart. That's what, you know, kind of contributed to his velocity drop really quickly. And when he stopped throwing, Uh, In the mid 90s, he was he was done fairly quickly after that. And you looked at his motion and he was like almost jumping off the mound. He had an incredibly long stride and you could see like, oh, it kind of it makes sense why why his lower half kept getting hurt and why his career really fell off like that. I don't really have those concerns so much with cease. I don't really know what his training regimen is like. Obviously I don't, he's, he's been outside of his Tommy John surgery. He's been pretty healthy for most of his career. Um, I think it's just kind of a give and take where if he wants to have that 97, 98 mile an hour stuff, uh, he's got to put in a kind of a level of effort, that makes the precision necessary to have plus control or even average control uh, really really hard to get at. I mean, he goes he, he's look at his windup and he goes zero to a hundred pretty quickly. It's not someone like uh, um, Jack Lighter, you know, number two overall pick in the draft last year, is a guy who's also not huge, but uh, he's always moving and he's getting to his velocity in, in a slightly in a slightly different way, I guess. And so he, with Cease, it's yeah, it's not so much an injury concern as it is the way he gets to his stuff is kind of puts an artificial ceiling on how well he'll be able to use it. I think I granted, I'm not a pitching coach. Like I don't see this stuff as up close as a lot of, a lot of, you know, the team does, obviously I'm not too much of an authority, but uh, it's pretty intuitive in his case. I think.
0: Lockdown White Sox fans. It feels like every time I'm talking to you, I am talking to you about built bars, best tasting bar, the puffs they are the first ever protein infused marshmallow they're fluffy they're marshmallowy they're not just a protein bar they're a treat and that's because they're covered in 100 real chocolate and they're also a treat because the flavors in my opinion are to die for you go to the website you can see banana cream pie cinnamon churro coconut marshmallow mint marshmallow ruby chocolate and lemon dipped cheesecake again i'm telling you these flavors are to die for my favorite thing you can go to built.com you can check the macros chart and you'll see that they are high in protein and low in calorie they're high in fiber and low in carb these flavors are to die for and Built Bar. that's what they focus on they focus on the taste they make it delicious first and then they figure out how to make it healthy so you will be making a great choice in changing this out to be your go-to treat because again They are healthy and they taste delicious. Go and try them out. Go to Built.com. Use promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 at Built.com for 15% off your order. This episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. I went over to my grandpa's for lunch. I mentioned, "Hey, grandpa, my windshields aren't working the way I want them to." So he pops the hood. I bring the car around back. He pops the hood and he sees the wire that's sending all the fluid to the the sprayers to get the you know the windshield w- w- you know wet you know the windshield wipers wet so it wasn't pumping out and he cuts the wires and he tries sucking it out and he ends up you know getting windshield wiper fluid into his mouth because he was trying to figure the problem he figured out the problem was the pump because it wasn't pumping through the uh, cords that were working the wires are working i'm not a car guy this is why i take it to my 70 year old grandpa but he says go get a windshield wiper pump and it took forever for the guy at my local auto parts store to even search for the part so let's Go to rockauto.com and I will show you how quick and easy it is to save money using rockauto.com. Rockauto.com, because I told you, I just needed to get a windshield wiper pump. And I told you, I'm better at computers than some some other people. So I'm just going to type in my car, Toyota Corolla. We'll go down here, see 1.8. That's what I need. And then uh, when, uh, so I, I see wiper pump. I'll even just type in uh water windshield washer pump. Look at this, 11:55, $1, And I paid 30 bucks. Boom. It's that easy. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in their How did you hear about us box? So, you know, we sent you, they have an amazing selection, reliably low prices and all the parts your card will ever need rockauto.com. You talked about the stuff though, and, and comparing it to Dylan Cease and Michael Kopech. Uh, I also uh, agree with your take that his his stuff is better uh, than Kopech. But I just like Kopech's, um obviously his build, uh, you know, better. I, I like his his size. Um, he just he just seems like a horse, like a stallion that's you know ready to to, to go 200 innings at some point in his career. Um, but with Cease, I, I've always loved this stat. Um, you look at the spin on his fastball, the spin on his slider, the spin on his curve, and we're going into you know the savant talk that you, you were talking about that started this whole tweet. Um, but you look at that, and the only guys that compare are Cor- Corbin Burns, uh, the former Cy Young that played for the Dodgers and, and Reds and Cleveland team, uh, Walker B- Bueller and, and he Dylan He's way to
1: those numbers, you know? right?
0: <laughs> and then he, he's using he's using sticky stuff on that. Um, so you know. It is truly an, an elite class uh, that he's put himself in. But with Kopech, are, are you concerned about, you know, what's 2022 look like in, in your mind for Kopech?
1: I'm I'm supremely confident in Kopech. I like, even though I like Cease's stuff at like full potential, assuming they both hit their ceilings, uh, Kopech, he's not someone that has to give max effort to get to that velocity. He's got really beautiful, clean mechanics. The only question you have with Kopech is that, A, we know he's only going to be able to give you You know, maybe 100, 110 innings next year, realistically, maybe up to 125. So it's more a question of how they're going to use him. And is he going to be able to get through an order three times? Is he going to have a clear is his curveball or his changeup going to emerge as the third pitch you usually need? to succeed at the major league level. I mean, there's, there's a chance, a a much better chance than is true for most that his fastball slider combo are just so good that he can pull like a DeGrom or what Carlos Rodon was this past year and really just throw those two pitches 90 percent of the time. Uh, But most guys aren't that good. And I think it would be kind of foolish to to assume that that's going to be the case. So there are questions about Kopech, but you know, you look at the mechanics and you look at what his performance was that last year. And, and there just don't seem to be too many holes in his profile right now. Uh, so I think he can, you know, we can talk about Pakota in a minute, but there's a reason that Pakota loves him and the eye test loves him. And, uh, you know, if he stays healthy and, and can pitch every sixth or seventh day, I think there's a, as good of a chance as any, we'll see an all-star all-star type campaign well- out of him.
0: Let's get into the Pakota things first, because I think maybe the, the the discussion about how he fits into the rotation, what the rotation looks like in 2022 might be, uh, you know, a little bit longer for discussion because uh, we talked about that on Monday and I went 40 minutes by myself. So, you know, there, there's a lot of stuff uh, to get into there. But um, what, why do you think Pakota loves uh, Michael Kopech? And I know that there, there's some players that I thought they were down on Luis Robert. Um, you know, what's your general take uh, on the Sox Pakota projections going into 2022?
1: Oh, man. It's hard to not be excited because they're they're projected for 94 wins. Uh, I wrote this up for Southside Sox last week. They're projected for 94 wins, which is 10 more than they've ever been projected for by Pakoda ever. It's kind of, you know, famous Sox fans hate it because it always hates the Sox. It's never for going back to 15 years. It projected them for 80 games in 2005 and the rest is history. They've never broken 83 projected wins. And now they're projecting them to be the clear-cut best team in the Central, one of the three or so best teams in the American league. And that's with gaping holes in right field and second base and the back end of the rotation. So uh, it's, it's pretty optimistic, even if like some of the individual numbers it gives might kind of be a little confusing, but it's actually, it's, it's a really good, really good look right now.
0: Like overall, I think I I agree with you. I projected them 93 wins you know I, th- I, l- I thought they could go 93 and 69 and they went 93 and 69 you know tooting my own horn who doesn't love doing that um but you know 94 would make sense for this team you know 95 96 wouldn't be shocked by that even if you know injuries derail them especially with the rotation if they stick at 90 i think they'll still win the division um but where did they kind of miss in your opinion because i think they missed with robert do you, do you think they missed with any specific players and where could that 94 turn into 97 or, you know, hell, even a hundred if things go really right?
1: Yeah. So I think the system is really low on Andrew Vaughn right now. And it's easy to see why, because all it has to go on is past performance. And for Vaughn, we have nothing but 55 games in a ball, and then a really up and down rookie season. And it kind of highlights what the projection systems, you know, their flaw is obviously going to be that they, They can't see adjustments and they can't see scouting. You know, Vaughn has got a really nice swing. He's got a really nice approach. He hits the ball hard as hell. And he is only a few relatively reasonable adjustments away from, you know, tapping into that 30, 35 homer power. And for somebody who went, again, pretty much straight to the major leagues from the Pac-12 with about, you know, 200 at-bats and then a bunch of alt site stuff in 2020... I don't think he can look too down on his rookie year, but of course, Picota doesn't really know any of that. Picota sees a guy who had middling power in his one, you know, stretch in a ball and then went to the major leagues and was pretty eh and didn't really stand out in any way. So it's pretty lukewarm on him and, and thinks he's going to be a little bit above average at best. And uh, for all the reasons I I just said, I think that's going to undersell, his potential pretty strongly. Uh, He was for a time for six to eight weeks or so in the middle of the summer, you know, the best hitter in the lineup for a little while. He got hurt late in the year. And I don't think anyone is going to give him, give him any problems for taking two months to adjust to the majors again, after having not really seen professional pitching all that much, much less major league pitching. Uh, So that's definitely a big miss for sure. Uh, I'm a little higher on Gavin sheets than, than it is. It still sees a, you know, big slugging beefy corner corner position role with not a lot of defense and no base running. I think the power is more real there than we're going to, than it's going to give him credit for, because he get, again, I can't see adjustments. He did make a big swing change in 2021, which, uh, can pretty visibly lead. We can see pretty visibly how that led to, you know, having more homers last year than he did his entire minor league career up to that point. Uh, you know, he still can't hit lefties. He's still a platoon guy, but I think it's being a little bearish on him. Um, other than that, it's hard to really complain all that much. I think it's fairly pretty reasonable. Um, even when players have not good projections, you know, people are going to be low on or not going to be super happy with Luis's projection. Uh, it's a lot lower probably than people think on the offensive side. Uh, Eloy is a little bit lower than you would anticipate, but both of you know, those things have pretty clear reasons from the standpoint of how these systems work, and they don't really mean that the upside isn't there. So, I'm, yeah, there's not a lot to be unhappy about in these, in these
0: numbers. BetOnline.net is now the official sports book of the Lockdown Podcast Network and of Lockdown White Sox. Football might be over for the season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. BetOnline has the latest odds, totals, player performance props to even odds on where the next fired coach is going to land. BetOnline.net is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. I got to tell you, this past Saturday, my sports watching was enhanced by using BetOnline.net. I like their college basketball lines. I like their NHL lines. I was watching Colorado versus New York. Why was I watching that? Because I had Colorado, uh, you know, uh, favored by a, a goal and a half, right? And 50 seconds left. They only have a one goal lead. New York has an empty net. The puck goes all the way to the other end and Colorado just taps it in. It was the most exciting goal I've ever seen in my life because I won money and you can go win money at betonline.net. Head to the website today, use your mobile device or use your desktop again, betonline.net online It's where the game starts. <laughs> Thanks for making Locked on White Sox your first listen each and every day. Locked on MLB Prospects is brought to you by host Lindsey Crosby. He is a prospect encyclopedia and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. Are you more worried about Andrew Vaughn playing 130 games? He played 127 last year or Michael Kopech hitting 150
1: innings? Ooh, what do you, what do you mean by worried? Like,
0: well, I, I, which one sounds like more of a reach, maybe like looking at the way Vaughn broke down at the end of the the, the year, just because he hasn't played over a hundred games in any baseball season in his life, especially at a professional level. And then with Kopech, he hasn't hit a hundred innings since I think 2018. And that was like 124. His max was like 138 or something like that. Um, So which one do you think is more of a reach Kopech going to 150 with all of his starts and relief appearances or however they uh, implement him or Vaughn reaching 130 games? He played 127 last year. Um, Do you think he can repeat that workload again or, you know, is a Kopech stretching out?
1: Yeah. I'm not super concerned about Vaughn and his um, potential to stay on the field. I mean, another thing that I didn't just mention about him is that uh, fielding in the major leagues is hard. And he got told, you know, two days before opening day that he was going to be playing a position that he had literally never played in his life. Uh, And I think that there's a reason that catchers, for example, the bar for them on offense is so much lower. It's because defense is hard and we have to focus on defense. It does take away from your hitting. So between that and the fact that we're not coming off the weird 60 game COVID season, which really messed with everybody's legs, particularly leg injuries were way up across the league last year, as we saw uh, with all of, all of our guys. So I'm not super concerned about Vaughn's durability at this point. Uh, Kopech hitting 150 innings. I don't see. Maybe if they stretch him out well enough that he can make starts for them in the playoffs and pitch into the playoffs for them, uh, Maybe it'll happen then, but I really don't see a world in which he hits 150 regular season innings. I just don't think he's going to make that many starts. And even if he does, you know, I don't see him averaging five innings a start over 30 starts. Put it that way, Um, maybe 20 starts, but that's that's a stretch. Yeah,
0: right. I guess it's just looking at the way we was looking at the rotation on Monday. And looking at the way Tony used his rotation, I mean, he rode them so hard. Uh, top five innings, for starters, last year, they're at 855-plus 800, uh, uh, as, as a total group. I just think it's tough to see, you know, how they're actually going to roll this rotation out day-to-day. If Rodon's not coming back, Kopech takes that spot. It seems like Keiko's staying in the Keiko spot. Uh, Reynaldo Lopez obviously gives them length. How, how do you see the rotation playing out? And, and we were trying to answer the question. Like if you are saying the Sox need to add more starting pitching, how do they implement another starting pitcher into the group of guys they have? And, you know, within the 26 man roster limit,
1: I think for all intents and purposes, you almost have to take cease and Kopech almost as one starter or like one and a half starters between the two of them. I think if you get two hundred fifty. 275 innings between the two of them, it's a pretty big success. And I wouldn't be surprised if we got significantly less, uh, right now at, you know, if there's another bad thing to look at at the Dakota projections is that it has, uh, Ronaldo and Jonathan Stever and Jimmy Lambert projected for a total of 24 starts with an ERA around 475, 480, uh, it's still got Keuchel making 30 starts and reaching that 160 inning threshold that will lock in his contract for another year, which I look at 99 times out of hundred. I'm very much against any kind of option manipulation on the part of teams or anything like that, but <laughs> you know, it, I know it, everybody knows that we can't have Dallas Keuchel on back on the South side in 2023. We just can't. So I, you know, in terms of how the, the actual Cardinal number of starters yeah, maybe we have six or seven starters, and there's not an open spot per se. But you look at it from an inning standpoint: is that right now they're projected to win 94 games while getting 50 starts of basically 50 60 starts of complete replacement level pitching is what yeah. you know prospectus is projecting with those three in Keuchel. Uh, so I think you, if you want to be serious about competing in the American League and not just coasting to another. AL Central title and going three and out in the playoffs, you have to add to that. You can't be satisfied with 60 starts of 475, 485 ERA ball in the back half of your rotation, or else you're going to end up leaning on, on G and Lynn to do more than they need to do. And we saw how that wound wound up at the end of last season. So uh, they additions need to be made, put it that way. You can't, you can't count on cease and Kopech to give you enough volume to make up for make up for what you're going to miss by losing, losing Carlos.
0: This is from at pine tar keyboard on Twitter. Front office needs to step on gas now separate from pack or stay comfortable losing an ALDS. No half measures in my mind. That's Carlos Rodon staying on the South side. Um, how do you feel about that? And, and if not that when they need to add to this team, I mean, what what are the ideal acquisitions in your mind?
1: Man, I'm going to be really upset if they don't find a way to bring Carlos back into the fold. Uh, this the situation there is too the convergence of circumstances is too much to pass up. You already have the incumbent advantage where he's familiar with the organization. There's obviously a history of success there. You know, based based on everything we know, uh, the relationship he has with the organization is good because of his injury history, which. I'm not really worried about based on his, what his mechanics look like now. Uh, He's going to get less money than someone of his caliber probably would. Otherwise Uh, the white Sox again, should have the incumbent advantage, even if they didn't extend the qualifying offer to him. I don't think you're going to get a better uh, as much as I hate talking about price and budget when it's not my money. And I think they should all just spend freely. You're not going to get a better a better bang for your buck than bringing back Carlos on really whatever deal he's going to be comfortable with. Uh, I think you got to shell out that money unless, you know, I, I don't see a lot of upside a lot of similar upside that's a realistic option for the team. And that's not going to run them $150 million. You know, Robbie Ray and Gossman are already off the market. It's, uh, it's kind of, I don't want to say Rodon or bust. I don't have the list of free agents in front of me. So there's probably some guys I'm forgetting, but uh, it's just the fact that a, he is probably the best pitcher left on the market and that they should have a big step up on retaining him is what makes it particularly critical because we know I mean we're going to regret if he ends up pitching for the Yankees in October I'll say that much
0: (laughs) I I agree with you there and like you know I think the other best arm would be like Kershaw and it's like, do you want to kick those tires? Yeah, and if
1: he's he's going to the Dodgers or retiring, you know, it's, it's
0: exactly or the Rangers. I, I've I've heard that too, going back to his
1: uh hometown Rangers. Oh, right, right, right. He's a Texas. Did you know that he <laughs> played with Matthew Stafford growing up, by the way? <laughs> this is a White Sox podcast. It's
0: whatever. That's no, but it it fits because they were on the White Sox in literally.
1: Oh, that's true that was a great picture that surfaced a few weeks ago yeah.
0: yeah so and then like tyler anderson's a name out there michael Pineda, uc kikuchi danny duffy but like the the, the argument is is like first off I, I i'm reminded of the Sox uh when paul Konerko hit the free agent market after 2005 like the Sox signed him for you know pretty much dirt cheap just compared to the market. Um, Like he got a somewhat fair value, but he still got a hometown discount. Um, Like in a way it feels like you're still getting a hometown discount with Rodon, because I think, like you said, you're still getting an ACE or ACE level stuff. Um, in that package and you know that much about them, you have that relationship built up, um, you're not going to get a, a player that has two top 50 pitches and in, in, in run value right now. So um, no, I, I agree with you too, just with the way the market has played out. Um, final thing I want to talk to you about in final, yeah, final socks things, I guess. Um, I was introduced to you by your work uh, on Liam Hendricks uh, in, in about August when he was breaking down, you wrote about his Pocota projections Um, How do you view his 2021 and and his value to the Sox at this point?
1: I don't think there's much to think about. He's projected to be the best reliever in baseball for like the fourth straight year. Um, (laughs) He had some fluky home run issues last year, and some of them came at the end of games. And if you take away those like five or six bad pitches or good swings, even if you really take away the Field of Dreams game alone, Mm -hmm he had one of the best relief seasons like ever in recent memory. Uh, you can't fake the kind of stuff he has or the results he gets, you know, he's going to be until we see the velocity fall off or he gets hurt or some combination thereof. I don't think there's any reason to think he's not going to be worth every penny of his contract. Um, you know, he might, relievers are always going to be vulnerable to having their numbers swing with home runs because they throw so few innings. All it takes is one or two bad pitches and one or two bad outings to totally tank your stats. So, you know, maybe you look at some of Hendrick's numbers and be like, Oh, he blew this many saves or he did this or they're like find something else to worry about. You know, if you're <laughs> there's other, there's other spots in the bullpen that are going to be more, more worth thinking about. I don't think we're going to have any reason to, to fear a ninth inning lead.
0: Right. So, and, and with that, and I'm not trying to set you up here, but uh, going into the scouting uh, realm back in 2020, this was uh, the scouting report on a player from Mike Shirley. If he pitches the ninth inning, how about that for a good floor? Is that a good floor for Garrett Crochet? I know that he was in the red flags part of Pakoda. He drafted him to be a starter two years out. Now we haven't seen him start a game 60 innings total in, in, in his MLB career. No minor league experience, you know, very little experience pitching in, in, in Tennessee. Do you expect his future having starting pitching, you know, being you know, worked in, or do you just see him as, you know, now his ceiling, honestly, is that elite level ninth guy, uh, ninth inning guy that's worth every penny, just like Liam Hendricks, or is it you know gadget left hander at this point?
1: Yeah, there are so many variables with him that we just don't know about uh, because there's not much of a track record. I would love to see him, him start, just because I think it would be really dumb to waste that high of a draft pick on 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 someone who you're not even going to give a chance to start. I'm not confident. The Sox are going to do that. The law of inertia is about keeping him in the pen. It seems like uh, Tony likes having him in the pen or someone in the front office does because they didn't even give him a chance to stretch out really this past year. And that doesn't make me very happy. Uh, his his numbers overall were pretty good last year, but there's a little bit of... Um, a lot of a lot of caution thrown into that. He didn't th- he didn't break a hundred miles an hour once, uh, which was kind of where we saw that we all started dreaming on that Hendricks esque ceiling when he came up to the majors in twenty twenty, looking like an Errolis Chapman clone uh, mechanically right. <laughs> and in terms of arsenal. He really did look very very similar. And he wasn't healthy for a lot of twenty twenty one, and he kind of lost feel for his slider. It was a few different pitches over the course of the year and his numbers look good but he had a 4 430 ERA after the early middle of June at some point. Uh I don't really know if if he starts throwing 101 miles an hour again then yeah the 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 roof is the ceiling as we like to say. Uh he can be one of the best relievers in baseball but it's hard to throw that hard. You have to stay healthy and even you know the number the list of players who have maintained that level of velocity for multiple years without getting hurt pretty much starts and ends with, with the role as Chapman. So I, I think I said this in the article, I want to see them at least give him a shot to develop as a starter, because at this point I'm not convinced the upside as a reliever is any more than like, you know, we love Matt Thornton. He was great, very solid reliever, but uh, it's going to be a pretty bad miss on a first round, a high first round draft pick in a window of contention. If, you know, if you're, if crochet ends up being like your fourth best reliever, right? And
0: it seems like the windows now at this point, like you know, he, he's had enough experience at the major league level. I, I think opening day, he he, it might be smart to start him even aggressively down in double A. Just let him at you know keep him away from that Charlotte ball, ballpark completely. Put him in a place where you know all he has to do is focus on mm-hmm. you know learning how to pitch to these guys. Um, and build up his confidence by, you know, no fluky home runs or whatever. Um, Maybe that's the best idea because if this window is open to 2027, you know, when is he going to be a starter at any point in those? It really feels like you got to hit, 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 you know, start building up uh, Mm -hmm. that now. Um, I want to talk to you now about the lockout. Um, you, you, you're very, 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 very smart guy. Um, and that is mostly because you're Irish, um, you know, big Irish guy here. Um, my, my grandma listens to every podcast. So the fact that your name is Zach Hayes, um, you know, she's, she's, she's in love with you right now. Uh, we'll, we'll share my favorite fun fact about you in a little bit, but very smart. You wrote about why the uh, commissioner position has never been neutral and never will be. Um, what are your thoughts on the lockout? And, and what are your thoughts on that commissioner and how he's handled the lockout so far?
1: Yeah, my thoughts have remained pretty steady from from day one. I've been pretty strongly of the opinion that games are going to be missed uh, because the, the owners in Manfred from day one have kind of telegraphed that breaking the union was their goal. The union is fed up and insubordinate. They have been on the receiving end of 20 years of disadvantageous CBAs. And going back to the beginning of 2020, we remember how contentious the negotiations over what the shortened season was going to look like were and prorated pay and all that stuff. Uh, So there's a reason this was telegraphed really, really heavily into the future. And, you know, we are all getting up in arms over the way that Manfred is operating, you know, the audacity that he kind of just lies to our face with and puts out all these incredibly disingenuous statements. And yeah, that's just the logical conclusion of what the commissioner is supposed to be. Uh, I think in the post strike years. I mean, I'm I'm 26. I don't remember the strike at all. All I know is, quote unquote, labor peace. Uh, and I think there's sort of a mistaken or at least misguided impression amongst most fans uh, who don't really know the kind of labor politics of the sport that in sports in general is that the commissioner is Supposed to be there for the good of the game. He's supposed to keep everybody in check. He's supposed to be fair and neutral and balanced. And even if you say he like, quote unquote, works for the owners, which is a pretty common, pretty common admission these days and has been for a few years now, then you still there's still kind of the idea that he's supposed to be a mediator. The commissioner is supposed to have everyone's interest in mind, because if, you know, we, we know the owners are going to run run things into the ground if we give them their way. So, but, but that's just not true. And it never has been the the idea of uh, the commissioner, not just working for the owners, but working against players, very aggressively against players is something that I think we need to, uh, wrap our heads around a little bit more and start saying like, okay, why are we giving this guy all that power? Why do we have this role? Uh, that is when things get tough, when you have moments like these in labor negotiations where, uh, players need to stand up for their rights, that's what, you know, it's how, how labor works. You need a power sharing structure. That's not going to be run by someone who is dedicated to breaking unions. And that's what the job comes down to at the end of the day.
0: Right. And I think it's funny that you mentioned that, you know, his job as a mediator yet the MLB is asking for third party mediation. And I think that's why the players are finding that laughable because it's like, well, you're, then you're just not doing your job, Rob Manfred, which, you know, I love exposing. I'm, I'm fine with exposing Rob Manfred on that fine uh, on, on that, on that point.
1: Yeah. And I, what I talk about in the article is going back and looking at uh, Commissioner Landis, the very first commissioner, who was a pretty despicable human being on just about every level imaginable. And there's kind of a, the popular narrative that you get is that the Black Sox happened and there was this gambling problem. And so then you needed the commissioner to restore restore balance to the force and, you know, uh, <laughs> uh, make sure everything was acceptable in the eyes of the public. But you kind of look at it in practice. And from day one the commissioner was about suppressing player rights. Uh, Landis's second, the second thing he did after banning the Black Sox was to suspend Babe Ruth because he, he had decided to barnstorm after the season as many players did back then. Uh, the commissioner for has always been about striking down players whenever they have the temerity to, try to take a bigger slice of the pie. And there's a lot of different that takes form in a lot of different ways, Uh, whether it's barnstorming, whether it's players throwing games hundred years ago, or whether it's players saying, Hey, you're getting all this TV money. Now we need a minimum salary increase, like stat. Uh, It's been the entire time. It's been the commissioner's job to say, "Uh, uh, uh, no, you stay in your place. Uh, So I think the sooner that we really start treating the position of commissioner, like abstractly like that, the better. And, you know, in a, Perverted way, it's kind of almost good that Manfred has dropped all pretense of being neutral and uh, trying to save face. He's just like lying to her face, very, very smugly. And the sooner, the easier it is to call that out. The easier we can change, you know, change public perception.
0: Zach, it just takes one thing. It's one thing, one thing to happen, and then they they'll they'll reach labor peace. That's that's what he told me. Is that it? Just he's done this for a very long time, and all, the one thing that needs to happen is February 28th in his mind, and that's the deadline, and that's when they think those players are going to crumble. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, if you, what are you expecting? If not 162, you know, are you expecting baseball in April
1: still? I don't know about April. Um, I think it's a pretty your answer. The answer to that question whoever you ask is going to have a pretty linear correlation to how long you think, how strong you think the player's union is going to be. Uh, It's hard to say because the union in recent years has never really been able to push the owners even close to a point where they might uh, consider making serious concessions. We don't really know. We don't know how much the owners are willing to lose. We don't know what their economics look like because they won't open the books. Uh, So I think it's optimistic to think the players will make it more than a month or so of missed games before uh, discontent starts to bubble up and you kind of have to make a deal. If I had to put a date on it, I would say like first couple of weeks of May is when we might expect baseball. But I also don't think I think the players have probably been pretty well prepared to miss games uh, for some time now. And the mystery is really who is going to blink first after that. And we don't know. We have no way of knowing who that's going to be. But, yeah, I think the 28th is kind of the date that we've been moving towards this entire time. MLB knew it this entire time. uh, And this is when this is when the real negotiations are beginning. Not even now, once games are concretely being missed, it becomes that waiting game. So. Yeah, you're totally right there.
0: <laughs> that's Zach Hayes. You can find him on Twitter at Pine Tar Keyboard, which is also a great app, by the way. Um, you know, shout shout out to that one. That's a, that's a, that's a good brain up there for coming up with that one.
1: Real real dumb story. I, I was really bad at using using sticky substances in college. I'll say that's all I'll say. Oh yeah? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Nice. Um, and one one of my favorite facts that I got to mention, because my grandma listens every day. Uh, if you are Irish, my grandma immediately loves you. Uh, she is from the, uh, I think, east side, no, west side, west side of Ireland. Um, and the fact that you are a Gaelic Park uh, trophy winner, uh, you, you you can you explain what you won uh, to, to my grandma and all our listeners here on this Friday?
1: Oh, yes. To all of the very much invested listeners. I at the fresh age of, uh, seven had the honor of being, of placing second, uh, runner up in the 2003 Gaelic park, Irish fest, red hair contest. Uh, you know, I may, I may not have a soul, but I'm winning, I'm winning prizes for prizes for it. So yeah, that's, uh, those are my, my Irish bona fides right there.
0: (laughs) Everything I remember from Gaelic park fest was, uh, going every single year and getting some sort of basketball, Uh, playing, playing one of the booth things and either taking home like a, a a North Carolina basketball, a WWE basketball, like a Bugs Bunny basketball. Like, I, I don't remember why, but I was always winning that prize.
1: Yeah, it's whatever. It's the the Southside Irish equivalent of a uh, county fair, you know, and, <laughs> one of those types of things.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Zach, thank you so much for your work. Again, you can find him at Southside Socks. That's where he wrote about uh, Pacota projections. You can find him at Pitcher List. That's where I was on at Shagging Flies, uh, their podcast over there. And you can find his work at Baseball Perspectives, where he wrote about the commissioner and I think informed you guys, uh, you know, very well about, uh, you know, what, what the commissioner is actually there for. Uh, Zach, anything else you want to plug and anything you got coming? up uh, any articles you're working on uh, you know know, anything you want to close with
1: oh man just um, never forget that Jerry Reinsdorf is stealing your money in a million (laughs) different ways Uh, (laughs) whenever you think about labor and baseball and even the way the White Sox management conducts itself uh, just remember that Jerry Reinsdorf is taking your money and not investing any of it in the team so keep the, uh, what's the word? Um, Keep pressing them, you know, never be satisfied with can never criticize him enough as far as I'm concerned.
0: Absolutely. You look at the Pirates. They've been spending like it's 2004 since 2004. Um, thanks for making <laughs> thanks for making Lockdown White Sox your first listen every day. Our next episode will be on Monday. It's a Monday mailbag. You can call 312-566-8727 or write in LockdownSocks at gmail.com. Go give Zach a follow at Keyboard. Now make your second listen, Lockdown MLB, Paul, Francis, Sully. Uh, Zach, you got to call him Sully brings you his unique perspective on the major leagues past and present it's free and available wherever you get your podcast for Zach Hayes I'm Sean Anderson thanks for listening to Locked On Sox